and welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. All right, I've been waiting for this one. This one uh, I'm excited about, and I said I would not fanboy out, but I've got Kelly Slater, the GOAT himself. Um, Kelly, I'm going to jump right in, and thank you for, for joining us today. Um, your, your career has now spanned three decades, 11 world championships. Man, what do you consider to be the keys to your longevity and success across these, uh, these three decades? Oh, well, thanks for the intro. Um, number one thing, probably just passion, loving what you do at the end of the day. I mean, I, as a kid, I spent my days on the beach surfing, fishing. My dad owned a fishing uh, bait and tackle shop near the beach, about a block from the beach. My mom liked to hang out and suntan and I was building sandcastles and running around in the water and on the dunes and then um, eventually got in the water and started surfing um, over a number of years. There was no I, I don't remember one period where I just was like, OK, I started surfing today. It was, uh, you know, boogie boards and body surfing and long boards and and, and swimming and stuff. And then um, eventually moved into where I was just surfing on a shortboard. Um, and I got my first hardboard at eight years old, surfed my first contest that same year. Actually, I surfed my first contest on a soft boogie board with, twin, with two fins on it. Um, and I wore a leash on my front wrist um, that was hanging off the nose. But um, soon after that, I got my first actual hardboard, and <clears throat> that was 1980. And then um, probably within about a year or two after that, I started surfing not only local events, but then regional and East coast events. And then, um, uh, by the time I was 12, I was surfing national events and, uh, international from about 14, 13, 14 years old. But yeah, to answer your question, no, at the end of the day, I, I fell in love with surfing and, and that was my outlet was through competition and, you know, that gave me all this other stuff. I got to travel and make money and have a career and, and uh, make a living from it. But, um, you know, the number one thing I'm going to do every day when I wake up is figure out where I'm going to surf that day or if I'm surfing and then other things fall in line behind that. <clears throat> that's, that's, that's awesome. The fact that you still have the initial love for the, uh, the sport, because I'm sure with a lot of professional athletes, just the burden of everything that comes with it, the limelight, uh, the over attention, uh, which is not even a word, but that, they just lose the love of the, uh, the sport. Kelly, mm -hmm. I, I do want to ask this because it seems like in society today, we like to discount, you know, things that people earn. Like a lot of people may just look at you and say, well, hey, you know, his, his abilities were natural. He didn't have to work as hard. Do you, do you think you put in more work than the other surfers to, to get where you're at when they were out partying? Were you the ones hitting like, you know, four sets in one day, four sessions, five sessions? Did you have yeah, um, I surfed all day. I remember I had a, I had a surf coach when I was a kid named Dick Katri, and he, Dick was a uh, he was a pro surfer himself in the seventies, and then he coached us, and he owned a surf shop that that um, that we were sponsored by uh, from the early eighties, and um, you know he always used to like hammer it home to us: you you have to surf in all conditions all the time, and um, that wasn't a problem for me because that's all I wanted to do. It was more fun. Like, you know, I tell a story where my dad coached our football team and I would skip practice to go surfing and he would go coach practice. Um, I, I loved football. I love baseball. 
Uh, I did love other sports, um, but not, nothing compared to surfing to me. And, and I really gave up everything else for that. And I also, from a young age, it, it was really hammered home to me by my mother um, to stay away from drugs and alcohol. And so I, I didn't go through that sort of party phase in high school or college years or any of that. You know, I was straight into surfing and very dedicated to my craft. And I, I really wasn't interested in knowing what a hangover felt like. It just wasn't my thing. So uh, that, that added to all the time I was able to, you know, get up in the morning and surf all day and, and, and surf till I was tired, eat a meal and go to sleep. And that was, that was really number one to me ahead of everything by a long shot. Yeah, I'm sure it had to be hard with all the extracurricular uh, or, or access to extracurricular activities on tour. Uh, did you see some guys just, they, they jumped into the party lifestyle and then it was like a slow decline from there? Yeah, it was actually kind of a rough thing to learn about people you look up to. Um, I got on tour and I, I've always been a little bit of a, I mean, I got a lot of friends, but I've been a little bit of a loner when it comes to travel and stuff. But I, I do spend a lot of time by myself, always kind of have. Even even if I'm traveling with friends, I find a lot of alone time. But <clears throat> I remember going to France uh, when I was like 18, 19 years old. And we go from California. Our tour goes would go from California to France. And it's a nine-hour time difference. So you're super jet lagged. And it's hard to go to bed and get on time uh, when you fly east. And um, I remember going to clubs, like bars and clubs, till the sun came up. And I would drink a Coca-Cola and some water. And uh, I'd see these guys just raging until the sun came up and then go straight into the surf, still drunk, you know, and I just couldn't believe it. And these were guys that, I, that you know, in, in, uh, had such a huge impact on my life growing up because I loved the way they surf and they were hugely influential to me. And it actually fueled my fire because I, I lost respect for them and I just wanted to beat them competitively. Um, and I, I also felt like it gave me a leg up. I just thought, look, I'm going to be healthier um, feel better, be more present and focused. And, and, um, you know, I think that was the case for a lot of years. Now, if you move to today, you got almost every single guy on tour and girl is, uh, training, working out, eating good, have coaches get, you know, they got their whoops and their aura rings and their sleep cycles down and nutritionists and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's a different game now. But I, I think I was ahead of that curve for many years. Oh, man, I, I can only imagine because it's like now we're the old guys to be like, hey, I had to walk 10 miles through the snow to get to school. Now you guys have all the advantages of all this stuff. I hope I they are. Because I'm from Florida. Well, yeah, I'm sure you can come up with a variant, but I hope yeah. they are better, faster, stronger than our generation was given access to everything else. But it, yeah. it brings up a good question, man, because I remember, it, I, I believe it was 98 because that was the year I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> You stepped off tour, man, um, for, for, remind me, two, three years? Three years. Right? Yeah, three years off tour. Was it, can you just sort of give me the, 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 the reasoning behind that? Was it just all the, again, everything that came with the tour, the pressure, both physical, mental, why you felt you had to take a, a break? And ultimately, you know, is that a period of your life that you absolutely valued the, the, the making the hard but right call to take some time off? Yeah. Um, well, when you say my career spanned three decades, it's probably closer to five now. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I, I actually, I actually wish I had started. I wish my first contest was a year earlier because the, the, the surf contest I first entered was a, an annual event that um, actually the, the brothers that made my first surfboard I ever owned, they had this event and it was to support the National Kidney Foundation. So the, the NKF was the event that we had every year at our local beach. And um, my brother surfed it the year before, but he was older. And my mom said, no, you're going to wait another year. But that would have put me as my first contest in the 70s. So it was 1980 was my first event. Um, it would have been a nice milestone to get another decade in there. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, so I've been, I, I started competing at, at uh, eight years old, not really full on, but by the time I was 10, I was competing really full on like every event that I could enter. Um, and so when I, when I took those three years off tour, I was 26 when I, I had just won my sixth world title my fifth world title in a row and I was just completely burnt out. I had no desire to surf a contest at that time. And, um, I was actually clear of that about a year and a half before I took the time off, off tour. I went to my boss. I was, uh, so I had this goal. Um, I wanted to try to beat Mark Richards record of, uh, four world titles in a row mm -hmm. and halfway through the year to try to win my fourth. I wasn't having a great year. And, um, I, I was struggling to, to really want to be there. And I told my boss, I said, if, if, if I don't win this year, I'm going to take some time off a couple of years. And if I do win, I'm going to try to go for one more year and then take time off. So I was really, I was very, um, definitive in what I wanted to do, very decisive in what I wanted to do. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what you know about that fifth in a row, which was my sixth in 1998, but I, I basically won it by the slimmest of margins. Um, a whole bunch of things had to happen exactly in order, uh, for me to win that in that last event. And it did. And, and I just, you know, what? that's just some kind of fate working in my favor. And I, I, uh, I'll pull my chips off the table for a little bit while I have a, a chance to. So, you know, I know you've been an advocate of plant-based medicine, uh, Rhythmia, you're, you're on the board of directors there. Um, th plant-based medicine has done wonders within my, my, my tribe of, uh, special operations guys that have gotten out. I myself have gone through uh, a couple times. Do you think if that was available to you in 98, maybe that would have sped up that cycle? Um, no, I would have, yeah. I would have had no interest, uh, in, in even hearing about that at that time. Um, but I know that it has worked for a lot of special interests, uh, a lot of, a lot of military people, a lot of people have been through personal traumatic stuff. Um, and, uh, but no, to answer your question, no, I, I, I didn't know anything about it and I would have had no interest at the time. At the time. I don't think at all. Uh, so, but are you a big advocate of plant-based medicine now for, for learning growth, uh, expansion of the, uh, the mind? Yeah, I I really haven't talked about that much publicly. Um, yeah. I think it's a personal decision, and and um, I think that it's I I know the wonders it can do for people. But look, a medicine of all types um, used properly with the right approach uh, is beneficial. And um, you know, we we see. Um, I've always been a very anti-drug, anti-drinking, uh, vocally anti drugs and drinking person and um uh and you see now that there's so many 
there's more people dying of prescription drugs than street drugs. And, um, uh, you know, but there's always a, a, some sort of swirling epidemic within pharmaceuticals or street drugs or whatever. Um, and, but those were, they're, they're all created for a certain purpose, you know, to try to help people, uh, hopefully. But um, a lot of things are just abused. Uh, most people figure out some way to abuse anything in life. And it, unfortunately, that's, there's epidemics of that all over the place. But I think, I do think there's a, a, a big opening for what you're talking about. Aaron Rodgers has talked about it a lot. Yes. There are a lot of people in, um, in, you know, more popular culture lately open those doors. Um, and uh, I, I just think there's not, not enough known about that stuff for, uh, for the average person to, to understand what it is. Yeah, the, the, the research, I think, over the next few years will open up those, uh, those avenues for a lot of people. And, and you brought up addiction. We've seen a lot of guys even stop drinking altogether from it. So it, and it is a very personal choice. Uh, yeah. It can be a very beautiful choice if the setting is right and done with the, uh, the right people, as, uh, as you referenced. Um, in that vein, I know you've been a, uh, an advocate of suicide prevention. Um, you know, you've, you've, you've tried to, to, to use your influence in your position. Uh, could you talk a little about that? I know you've suffered some, some tragedy, the loss of friends throughout your career to, uh, to suicide, why that mm. is a, a passion of, uh, of yours. Well, specifically for that reason, before it ever affected me, um, I remember, I remember being in junior high and there was a kid that I knew that actually lived on the school grounds. His dad was a police officer. And of some sort. And I wasn't very, I sort of knew him by name, but um, he knew my older brother a bit, but he committed suicide in high school. And um, it was such a, a foreign thing to me. Obviously, you know, hopefully nobody ever has to deal with that. But over the years, I've lost a lot of friends to suicide, like more than I can count. Um, and um, most of them being men, uh, boys, guys, you know, dealing with stuff they don't know how to deal with. And um, uh, it's, I think it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of different components to it. You know, there can be drugs, there can be um, mental and emotional problems going on with somebody. Um, there can also just be, you don't have, or feel like you have the right person to talk to in your life. There's a whole lot of different ways to, um, to sort of break it apart and look at it. But yeah, I've, just in the last couple of years, I've, I've unfortunately lost a lot of friends. Um, uh, I, I had a, very, a couple of really tragic ones happen recently that were, um, I, I felt like they were preventable and we tried, but, uh, you know, when somebody sees the signs, you got to just like gather around that person and try to help them and um, do your best to, to open up some other doorways for them or some different points of view. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is people just need to ask for help. The second they ask for help, that opens up that door. Okay. Hey, yeah. Or, you know, and, and for you, for you, that's not, if you're not that person in it to see those signs from somebody and do your best to, to be non-judgmental and, um, and allow them to talk. Well, Kelly, uh, you know, one, I've got to say, we recently had, uh, Stephen Kotler uh, on the uh, the show. If you don't know Stephen Kotler, 14-time uh, New York Times uh, bestseller. He recently wrote a book called uh, Nar Country. 
uh, growing old while staying rad. And he talked about you and the superpowers uh, of aging yeah. and lost uh, the lost tapes was absolutely motivating for all of us over 40 that, that have told oh, that's you know, nice. an old dog can't learn, learn new tricks, but bro, you continue to push through. And um, it seems now like your passion is still surfing, but you're switching from having been, you know, sponsored by all these companies and what you've done with uh, Outer Known and uh, and Fire Firewire boards, uh, is the commercial area becoming more of a passion for you and starting companies in the sustainability uh, area? Um, y- short answer is yes. Um, longer answer is that I've been sponsored since I was about a ten or twelve year old kid, and for. I would say half that time, uh, I, I didn't know a whole lot about, uh, supply chains, materials, environmental impacts, um, workers, safety, uh, all sorts of things that I think when social media hit, it, it started to become part of my algorithm and things that interested me. And, uh, that's when I started to become a lot more passionate about, um, the ideas around it. And I figured if that was, look, surfers don't make. Pro surfers make the bulk of their money generally from sponsorships, um, not from prize winnings. Um, and I just felt like there was a duty there for me, especially as I aged and um, become became more aware of things to to be a part of some sort of solution within brands that I'm involved with and and um, send that message, you know. And and also I. I think people should be inspired to know they can go out and do anything on their own if they want to. The, the sustainability is interesting and, and definitely the, the purpose behind your companies is there. Is it difficult to manage that with profitability? Cause I know sustainability is such a niche uh, market and, and yeah. it does come into your profit margins. Is that something you guys got to contend with almost nonstop? Um. It's funny, my, my old boss from Quicksilver, uh, when I, when I left Quicksilver after 20 some odd years, 23 years, I think it was, um, we were talking about this and we, we remained good friends and, and, um, but he said, he's a French guy and he says, you know, you have, there's no chance you can do this and make a profit. And, uh, and, uh, he said, it's too difficult. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know if I took that as like, uh. A challenge or what but um after a while he started to get it unfortunately he has he has since passed away in a tragic voting accident but he was a a huge influence and and a very big supporter of what we're doing what i was doing personally without or known and and um he was looking to potentially have us be involved together again um cross company collaboration at some point but um yeah he definitely was in his world and 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 saw the way that that surfing world and the industry worked and, and saw the difficulty ahead for us. So that's a little bit of a long one in answer to your question, but there, there is, it is more difficult because when I first came out, when we first launched it and I was so proud to launch this brand, the amount of hate I got, man, it, it made everyone in the office just like go into kind of a depression for a little while. We couldn't talk about it because our price was much more expensive than what the surf brands are, but they weren't anywhere near what, um, expensive fashion is. So it was kind of in this middle zone. Um, and you're trying to figure out who your customer is and, 
and um, the message you're sending to them and are we surf or are we like a clothing brand and are we are we going to be something fashionable and comfortable or are we going to be just sending out this message of sustainability and and you know that's primarily the thing ahead of how good uh, the clothes feel and how well they work so there's there was a uh, a little bit of a shock there for us at first and it was it was definitely hard but people don't understand that when you take care of your workers when you have a a, a responsible supply chain um, when you have social compliance where people have good working conditions all those things immediately double your costs or more um, if you use recycled product which seems virtuous which seems like the right thing to do it can often be two three four times the price just for raw materials um, because because so many people are not using that, so few people are using that, that it becomes, um, you know, just a volume, just a metric. And um, so the more people start to use it and jump on that kind of bandwagon of um, sustainability and recycling and that sort of thing, which I think is inevitable, and you're already seeing a huge move to that, um, yes. uh, it, it, that's what brings the prices down. So. Well, dude, I, I've got to say, man, kudos to you and your entire team. It, it's not very often that we see companies with with a soul, with such a a strong purpose. And for me, that's easy to get uh, get behind, whether it's a higher cost uh, or not. And I know that's easy for me to say because certain things can be cost prohibitive to to other yeah. people. But congrats on, on sticking by your your beliefs, uh, despite uh, as you said all the uh, the hate that uh, came out. <laughs> Yeah. If, if you don't mind uh, me asking, there is a new venture coming out here shortly, uh, Kelly, and there's not much that you can see online other than uh, submit your, your email. Do you mind uh, giving uh, the listeners uh, just a little bit of information on, uh, on this new venture? I was approached um, uh, by uh, a person that I knew that had a company and um, they, they had this idea that we could... Uh, design sandals and, and eventually get into shoes. Um, so we figured starting with sandals is most logical because I spend my life mostly in sandals on the beach and traveling. And um, so we designed a sandal, which we are calling the Kelly sandal. And um, it's, it's actually called the new moon, the one we're launching in, in black. It's um, inspired by the moon and by turtles, which is a, an interesting thing because um, the during the year you have 13 moon cycles and um there on the back of a turtle you have 13 large scales and around the outside you have uh, 28 smaller scales and the 28 days in a moon cycle it, it's a very strange uh, coincidence or maybe not a coincidence that that uh, has happened in nature and um so the two of those things we kind of put together the, the elements of the moon and the turtle and the bottom of the sandal is uh basically a, a print of a turtle shell and it creates traction. And the top is the surface of the moon. Um, so we're kind of playing off those two things. There, there's no other better way to, to say it than that. That's, that's freaking cool, man. That's, that is a, a great story. And uh, yeah, no coincidence there between the lunar cycles and the, uh, the shell of a, uh, of a turtle. Uh, yeah, what is this? Launching? Cosmic mystery. Yes. <laughs> design of uh of god or, or whoever you uh you worship um and people can go to what, what what's the uh, the domain is it k-l-l-y.com yes k-l-l-y.com is the, the domain 
I, I love the, I love the name. I love the name. Well, Kelly, uh, dude, one, uh, you know, followed your career. Uh, and we're, we're roughly close in age uh, my entire life, man. Uh, it's been- yeah, Where are you from, by the way? So I was born in uh, San Jose, uh, California. Okay, um, gotcha. So we, we used to go to uh, Santa Cruz. I remember going through the Richard Smith School of Surfing uh, when I was Oh, younger. yeah. Hey, Richard uh, Smith's a legend, man. Yeah. And um, no, so was always in surf culture. And then I was stationed in San Diego with the Marines and SEALs for a long time. Uh, and so we'd always do, you know, for physical training, we'd have, we call it surf PT. Uh, so occasionally we, we had some fun when we weren't running around in the, uh, the sand, but I've, I've met a bunch of the SEAL guys have come out to Hawaii and trained in the trained on the North shore in the winter, um, over the years, uh, getting towed in and out of, uh, yeah, of and, doing, and doing stuff at night. You guys are a little bit nuts, but I do, I do appreciate that you, that, that the SEAL teams have, uh, have have reached out to surfers and specifically big wave um, and lifeguard experts um, to kind of fill in that that side of the uh, knowledge. And actually, so I went out to, to to Hawaii and did that training. I mean, it makes sense, dude. Our our mantra is find the people that have the most knowledge that are the very best in the world and learn from them. Because mm-hmm. um, the military is not the best at anything. We're we're a jack of all trades. But mm. Kelly, we. We end this in, in a certain way, man, with two, two questions. First, and it doesn't have to be three. We always say three. For the listeners, for, for anyone trying to, to, to pursue the passion the way you did, what do you consider, and I think you already mentioned one, passion. What do you consider to be maybe your two to three keys to success beyond passion? Trusting your gut. As a kid, I had a, a really strong belief that I knew something other people didn't know. I, I had a really strong connection with, um, you know, I didn't know if that meant better, but I, I really felt like I saw surfing and riding waves differently than other people did. And I, f- I, I felt a real essence between myself and the ocean and my skill. Um, and I, I truly believe that was going to lead to something wonderful in my life and, and, uh, that I was chosen for. Um, and that's not, um, that's not religious. That's not, it's maybe a little spiritual. Um, I, I just really felt very strong belief in, in, um, what I was learning. Um, and then, uh, third thing, I, I think the, the resounding, message in my life is networking, like all the people I know around the world. In fact, I had a, a, a close friend bring it up to me yesterday and, um, and, and talk about how they didn't know how I kept uh, such close connection with so many people in the world, but thank God for iMessage um, uh, and, and uh, being able to text people because otherwise I, I probably couldn't, couldn't do it. But I have really strong network of people around the world, families, friends, um, past sponsors, stuff like that, that I, I just feel tuned in with. And the surf world, I think any world that somebody's in, it's a little bit of a small world when you, when you get into sport. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, people you can reach out to anywhere in the world for surfing. And um, I've met people from pretty much every country that surfs on this planet. Um, you'd be blown away, you know, people from Pakistan and, and, uh, Russia and, um, 
anywhere in South America and up in Northern Canada. It, it's, it's, it's wild to, to see all the places in the world people do surf in the North Sea off of Norway and, and um, uh, in the Mediterranean or in the uh, Persian Gulf area. Uh, so it, there's just such a diverse um, uh, DNA in, in surfing all across the planet. And um, it's really a fun thing for me. It's really fun to meet all the different cultures that go all these different places. Um, last year, I went to the Maldives for the first time, and I didn't know a whole lot about it, funny enough, but there's, there's like 1,200 islands or something. And at all times of year, depending on where the swell and wind is coming from, there's really good quality surf all over. But it's just the most, one of those beautiful places in the world I've ever been. And um, uh, there's, just, there's still a whole bunch of places out there for me to go. That's, that's awesome that you find tribe uh, around <laughs> surfing. And it's always amazing what creates those bonds of homecoming. and belonging. Yeah, make, make those friends around your, uh, in your community. You know, make, make those friends around the world. And, and uh, especially as you get older, you start to really enjoy. As, I, as I'm looking at potentially uh, getting off tour here in the not-too-distant future, uh, I had a, a strong feeling of that <clears throat> this year going around, really putting my mind in, in that, hey, maybe I won't be coming to these places again to compete. And it's, uh makes me a bit sad, but I have friends in all those places. So I'll, I'll probably still go back. Kelly, last question. We talk a lot about legacy and impact uh, on this podcast. And uh, sometimes the impact we leave is not necessarily the impact we wanted to be known for. I mean, you've transformed and it's amazing you say trust your gut because I remember in the uh the lost tapes you spoke to a school in Australia where the kids go to high school for basically surfing and they tie all the uh, subjects and you said hey back when I started surfing it was sort of a uh, a sport for for uh you know would you say bums I think you used the word and you've you've turned it into this professionalized uh sport even more so and I mean you've impacted an entire, I mean, generations. And I know you're still competing for the, uh, the Olympics in, uh, Paris in 2024, but at the end of the day, when all is said and done, what's the impact? And that may be the impact you want to be known for. What's the impact or legacy you want to, uh, to leave behind or be the best known for? Hmm. Um, it's a funny one. As a kid, I wanted to be the I wanted to be the best surfer in the world. That was my <clears throat> that was my goal. And um, as you get older, you realize that that doesn't really that, that doesn't exist. Um, you can be the best competitive surfer for that year. You can maybe you're the best at a certain skill, um, but I don't know that there's such a thing as the best surfer, or there ever will be, or of anything. You know, it's like comparing different generations and stuff. Um, I just wanted to be as good as I possibly could. And I wanted to be a world champion. And um, I'm really proud of that stuff. I'm really happy all that happened. It led to a lot of amazing opportunities in my life. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, I, I want to be um, remembered as a good person and, and um, have a lot of friends and, um, and treat people uh, the right way. God bless that. Um, Kelly, I can't thank you enough. We'll, we'll drop all the links to, to your new venture, K L L Y.com. Check out the, uh, the sandals 
And uh, personally, from uh, somebody that was born in the 70s, thank you for continuing to represent our generation and competing with those young kids, man, because you inspire all of us, no matter, uh, despite your age, to continue getting out there and just do hard things. So thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Good to talk to you. All right, guys. And everyone, thanks for joining the Men's Journal Everyday Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. Until next time. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Mike.